Hi everyone, this is Becky Bast, also known as the Declutterista. I'm all about having fun with mom life, decluttering, and interviewing inspiring guests. I want to talk to you about something that's kind of relevant in my life right now. Fanny packs. I have mixed feelings about my fanny pack. It's kind of... I'm not a huge Game of Thrones fan, but I often think about when she's walking around the town, I don't remember her name, and they say, shame, shame, shame. Even though I'm the declutterista and I help people get their lives together, I'm not naturally organized, so I often lose things. I have a tile on my phone, uh, but my tile was running low on battery, so I lost my keys, and the whole family was helping me look, couldn't find it. So I thought, okay, my husband's been trying to get me to figure out a better system, like a backpack, so we don't have to keep doing the credit card thing, the key thing. So I just looked on Amazon, and I said, what's the best fanny pack? So I got one, and... You know, I'm not very self-conscious in general about my appearance. It's just funny because sometimes I'm like, okay, I'm going to own the fanny pack, like just embrace it. But like I went to a professional women's conference yesterday, Metro West Women's Conference. And you know what? That's not a good fanny pack time. Once I was home, I went to some dinner at a, a local restaurant. It was like kind of bringing awareness to the breast cancer gene. It's a random night, but it was really important. Um, I put the fanny pack on again. It's a good conversation starter. I walked out and they said, my friend said, oh, is that a fanny pack? And then she was being kind. She was saying, you know, they're in style now. And I'm like, it's okay. You really, you don't, you don't have to do that. Um, so there was a lot of conversation. I think, you know, it's a good conversation piece. I'm not super excited about it. I'm, I think I just have to embrace it. That's an important topic. I'm curious what people think about fanny packs. And I don't know if I wear it to the side, if that's hip, like wearing your hat to the side. I'm not quite sure about that. So I'm going to give you one of my favorite decluttering your mind tips. Um, I was with a client cleaning out her closet for four hours um, the other day and she held up something that was a skirt that didn't fit, but she was so joyful about it. Like it made her happy. It wasn't making her sad. Like, oh, look at this. It's never going to fit me. You know, it didn't fit. And usually I would say, we don't need to have reminders of things we're not fitting into. But just her reaction to this skirt of like one day getting into it made her so happy. So I think kind of just go with your gut. Like, are you, does it make you happy? Does it spark joy? Like Mary Kondo would say, or... Am I using it right now? Um, I think those are good questions to ask yourself. And just there's no perfect way to start decluttering and organizing. I definitely think decluttering, decluttering, decluttering before organizing. What has worked for me is declutter, declutter, declutter. And it's not a one, it doesn't have to be a one-time event. It doesn't have to be um, my vacation days off and I'm going to declutter my whole house. I just kind of do it as I go through life. If I see something in my house that's kind of dragging me down and not working for me, I put it closer to the door, which means that's going to be donated, okay? It doesn't have to be, like I've heard people say, okay, I'm taking time off from work to declutter. And if that, whatever works for you, there's no right way to do it. I think it's just important just to do something, move your life forward, okay? Just start. Don't overthink what's the right way to start. Um, I think... I just remember talking to a husband and wife cleaning out their bedroom and, you know, I advised to not think, <laughs> to like not think about it, just kind of, just kind of move forward. It was just funny hearing him talk to his wife and say, Becky said, don't, don't think too much. And I'm like, yep, I'm good at that. And even starting this podcast, 
um, when I was talking to them, they were just like, don't just, you know, just do it. Just see how it goes. So that that's kind of my mantra. Like, just don't overthink things. Just move forward. And if you have trouble moving forward, have someone help you. It doesn't have to be the declutterista, although she wouldn't mind if you're motivated and fun. Um, but is there a non-judgmental friend, family member? You have to have kind of the right personality because to work with someone, not make them feel lousy. Because if they have a lot of stuff and... If they're overwhelmed, they're probably not going to enjoy someone making them feel worse by like, oh, my God, what is this? Oh, God, how'd you let it get like this? So it's good to have a non-judgmental person. So my point is just begin, move forward. If there's something you see that doesn't make you happy, you're not using, just move it towards the door. Move it towards the door. Just move forward. That's my tip. I have a very special guest with me today. It's Kimberly Wittenberg-Lurie. She is the co-founder of the business Tearless Writing. Welcome to the show, Kimberly. Hey, Beck. Thanks for having me on. Oh, no problem. So tell me how, what is Tearless Writing and how did you start it and how are you really making people's lives lighter? Well, Tearless Writing was started a couple years ago in response to being an empty nester and having just gotten two kids off to college. And we realized, uh, my business partner and I, Linda Margulis, that we had some skills. We were both very proficient writers and we wanted to help kids, not the kids who needed college coaches, but kids who just needed a little help with their college admissions essays. We felt like there were a lot of reasons kids needed help. If English wasn't the first language spoken at home or if there were college admissions process was causing a lot of anxiety and problems at home, we thought we could kind of come in and help um, bring out the best in students. We don't write the essays, but we help the students um, sort of reflect their true self. And so it comes out in the admissions essay. So we all, that's really what we do. And from there, it morphed into more. I have a background in writing resumes and cover letters. I do some teaching at Suffolk University, a career launch class. So when people found out I had that, more of my business also launched into helping college students or, or recent graduates get jobs or people wanting to change careers or women wanting to reemerge in the workforce. So the whole notion of tearless writing is taking the tears and the stress out of college admissions essays and the job search. And what those really have in common is really working on reflecting your best self and presenting yourself to other people. So that's sort of the common theme of tearless writing. So how did you realize, like, how was it in your house in terms of the college admission essays? Did, I mean, you realize, like when I hear kids that say they're in their junior year or senior year of high school, I say, oh man, because I remember those days. Like, what is the process of working with you? And even if they don't choose to work with you, what kind of tips can you give people in terms of how to make this experience less stressful and lighter? Okay. Well, there's two questions there. So let me take the one (laughs) when I'm working with people. When I work with people, generally you have to meet them where they are. Some students have an essay topic. Some are really motivated and already have a draft of something. So sometimes we're just editing and helping them, you know, really bring out their points a little stronger and clarify things with them. And a lot of that's done just through conversation and some coaching. Sometimes students don't even know where to start and they have to pick an essay topic and they're really overwhelmed by this process. And sometimes it's really just calming everybody down and like just, you know, 
know, asking a lot of those questions like, what are you good at? What are you passionate about? What do you think makes you different? What makes you, what makes you special? You know, things that you wouldn't necessarily talk about with your friends even, but just those or your family, just the, and often parents have a lot of clues. And so they're really helpful to ask those questions. So I try to really keep the communication up between the kids and the parents and have them see their parents as a really vital resource, even when they're finding their parents a bit on the annoying Mm. side. So that's, that's that process. And it varies. And it's much the same with the resume process. I have people list all their stuff and all their dates. And then I work with them to try to really bring out their best experiences, what makes them special in a job, not just job responsibilities. So it's it's very much the same process in all of the writing. It's helping people sort of dig in and find their elemental, if you want to call it specialness or uniqueness or what makes them marketable, profitable, whatever. It's the same idea. In terms of the advice I give every client or client's parents, depending on the type of client, it's really settle down. Don't spin your wheels. You can waste a lot of energy getting really anxious and excited and overwhelmed. We hear those words all the time. I'm overwhelmed. I'm so busy. And it's really don't waste that energy. Put that energy in really small, manageable tasks daily, every other day, and have an accountability partner. It often shouldn't be your parents or your spouse if you're married. Um, It should be someone, you know, who can just sort of cheerlead for you and support you. So that's really the big advice I give is just settling down and realize that this is just part of the process and everybody goes through this. If they're going to college or looking for a job, it's just sort of what needs to get done. That's great. I wonder if you, do you notice that when you're meeting with clients, you almost see like a sense of relief that you're taking something off their plate? We always start with a certain amount of anxiety with every new client because, you know, they're, they, they're so relieved that they called someone for help, but they're so anxious that you're not going to be able to help them. Mm. And then there's this, by the time the first meeting's over, it's usually about an hour. And by the time the first meeting's over, there's always this like just huge smile. Because they just, every client I've had, I can't think of one where it hasn't been this way, where they just feel, you know, not that I've worked some sort of miracle, but they have lightened their load. They've taken a first step. They have a direction to go in. They know what they're doing. So they have a path forward. And I think that's what's so stressful for people. I think it's sort of like writer's block. You sort of have this moment of, I can't do this. And I think once you have a path forward and you've made a call or you've started the process even on your own, you know you can get through this just sort of one step at a time. It sounds so simple, but it really is that simple. Mm -hmm. That must be kind of fun to see the transformation just one meeting and just – Knowing you just from today, I can tell that you probably make people feel at ease. Um, I try to. Um, I mean, I think, I, unfortunately, I think in all my jobs, uh, I deal with people often in, on, their, on a more stressful day, you know, not the best day because, you know, who really wants to work on their resume? Who says, oh, hey, it's resume morning. Let's get to work on that. Or, oh, I have to write a cover letter. <laughs> That's good fun. So I think I'm often dealing with people or, oh, a senior in the fall, trying to think about where they want to go to school and will they get in. And it just all of these things have a lot of anxiety in them. So, but what's really fun is when we work on the college admissions essay, my, my business partner and I, when the meeting's over, I always have the parents look at what we've done. If, if, you know, if they're there, I always have them look at it and they're so relieved and excited because they realize that what we're doing is we're really working with their student to bring out their best. Mm-hmm. And I think I really can identify, I love seeing the students happy, but I really love seeing that relief on the parent's face. Mm. Like, okay, this is going to happen and this is going the right direction now. And I think that that's the lightening up I see on the parents. Because, I mean, to expect parents to be experts in college admissions, the college process, everything, it's a lot. And, you know, if you think about job seekers, how do you know what people are doing now for resumes? What should be in a cover letter? That's very few people's area of expertise. So these are stressful things because they're outside of our comfort zone. 
And I think it's such a great thing. I think you, in a way, are preserving the relationship <laughs> between the parent and the child because it can be super tense around these times. Yeah, no, I, I, you know, it depends. Every, you know, obviously we get hired for a lot of different reasons. You know, parents sometimes don't feel like they're a strong writer. They feel like we can maybe their kids don't talk to them enough, and they feel like we can do a better job. You know, fleshing out a topic. Um, there's a lot of different reasons, but I think in general, from the feedback Linda and I get, everybody's really relieved. Because we're helping their child, everybody knows their child is special and has special things about them. But to have an outsider come in and help see it and help their student or their child find it is is really incredibly exciting. Especially you know as you're getting ready to launch them, it's it's a good time. In terms of the resume and the cover letter, just the word cover letter kind of gives me the heebie-jeebies. Um, I mean, it seems like a good market. Like for example, a stay-at-home mom that has been out of the work or the traditional workforce for years and then is going back to work. Mm -hmm. Do you see that as like one of your targets and how would you work with them? Like what do you even do if you kind of have a 10-year gap? Well, you look at what people have been doing through the 10 years. First, you look at what they did and you have them list down all of their work experience before they left the work force, whether it was to take care of an elderly parent or a child, or they've had health issues. You, you never know why people leave the workforce. And you really take a look at what they did before. And, you know, you don't just list out their responsibilities. You list out where they added value. And then you look at what they've done while they've been home raising their family. You know, it, it's much harder to do a resume for someone who did no volunteer work, who really did nothing <laughs> besides raise a family. And I don't mean nothing besides raise a family. Raising a family, I don't think there's a much more important job than that. But it's helpful if people did something outside the home. Mm -hmm. So that would be something I would tell moms who are, you know, contemplating going back to work who haven't done any volunteer work or haven't volunteered anywhere. Um I think that's really key. You know, and there are people who really don't do any volunteer work and, and just want to go back to work. And I would say to those people, keep your contacts, you know, whether you're on LinkedIn or you're, you know, ever so often meet people for lunch, you know, go into if you can or Skype call, you know, if people are out of town. But I think it's, I think it's, there's a lot of good reasons to keep your contacts up, you know, your sanity, um, reemerge be able to reemerge in the workforce, but also just it's, it's a good way to keep your network, you know, alive and well, you know, sometimes they think of you and they'll farm out a project and then you're just a consultant, but there's still a little bit of work. So, but I think it is hard when people have been out of the workforce for 10 years and not touched anything, even remotely professional. So I would encourage people, women in particular, um, but everyone to stay involved in something and mm -hmm. something they enjoy and something hopefully that goes in the direction they want to go. And even if it's, you know, I was really active when I, I I've always worked part-time, even when I was raising a family. Um, but I always tried to do things that allowed me to build my communication skills, my leadership skills, my writing skills, you know, whether that was volunteering at nonprofits, you know, whatever I did. Um, and I always felt really good. And actually, some of that experience helped lead me to things I really enjoy. So, I mean, I think those experiences aren't just, oh, I've got to keep my resume up. Right. But it helps you continue to find what you care about, what you're passionate about, and the interest, the, the direction you want to go in. Well, it's very clear how your how tearless writing is lightening up people's load, but there's also something interesting about you. Does anyone think that our voices sound alike? <laughs> Spoiler! She's my big sister. Crazy. <laughs> so, <laughs> that is true. I that, am, yeah, I am yeah. ten years. I think our voices probably sound alike. I am ten years older than the Declutterista. So, wow. Yes. So, what's it like to be sisters of the Declutterista? Is this like 
one of the biggest shocks of your life? Well, I mean, there have been a lot of shocks of my life. Um, Becky being born when I was 10 years old was one of them. Um, But no, I mean, it's really, it's been really fun to grow up or grow older with Becky because I can't say we really totally grew up together. She was eight when I was headed off to college. Um, But we're so very different um, in terms of our skills and our interests. And, but we're so close. So I think seeing, you know, being with Becky and working with Becky on different projects, whether professionally or personally, you know, I think it's been a great work learning experience for me because it's a totally different personality. And I think it's much like when you parent a child that's nothing like you. Maybe, you know, if you have multiple <laughs> children, you know, maybe one is more like your husband, one's more like you, and then there's another one that you're like, oh my God, I don't know where that one came from. <laughs> that's me. So, so that, that's, sort of, <laughs> that's sort of always been my Becky experience. Lots of fun and lots of excitement. I can honestly say this is my first podcast. Woo, and you're doing great. How do you feel? I, I feel great. That's great. Well, now, full disclosure, that's my big sister. Yeah, it's all and right. I think if you were to see us, which you know, I know Kim would want to put this on on video because she's she definitely puts her puts herself out there. Um, you would see that we do look alike. There's only been one person. Do you remember that? Who said recently? It was I think when I was in labor yeah. with JoJo. Yeah, your second. You time, took yeah. me to an appointment, and I knew there's too much information. But I knew things were coming, and they gave me an exam, and I actually had to beg them to give me an exam. And then they said, eh, "Yeah, you could you could go up there." And the nurses there, I, we said, "That's my big sister," and she said. Are you kidding? You guys look nothing alike. And we're like, are you kidding? No one's ever said that. Yeah. So So I think it depends on hairstyles. Um, You know, I'm 10 years older and I'm probably about eight inches taller. So, I mean, I can see where some people would think, (laughs) wow, there's a difference here. But no, there's definitely some similarities. And there's someone exciting in the house who's not going to say hi, but she's waving. Our mom is here to observe and support us. She wanted to see how this would go down. Yep, yep. Observe and support us. So that's pretty exciting because a lot of our amazing qualities that you can you know, we're showcasing right now is thanks to uh, thanks to our mom right here. Our matriarch. Our matriarch, yes, right. who is amazing and des- deserves a whole new show of her own. But sometimes if you're that amazing, you don't need to, you know, have attention-seeking behavior. <laughs> and promote yourself. <laughs> and promote yourself. So, Kim. Tell me. I don't think – Kimberly. Yeah, whatever. I've been calling her Kim my whole life, but she's going by Kimberly. So I think most I'm finally – also. Most of her life, but everyone kind of ignores it. So I think you're also an example of an entrepreneur, and I'm coming across this a lot in my networking, who does not love to promote themselves. No, I don't like to promote myself. And I think some of that is, um, okay, I went to UMass at Amherst, and I was a business major. And I did human resource management. That was sort of my, my degree was in English. Those are my two degrees at UMass. And I deliberately didn't choose marketing because it didn't really interest me. I don't particularly like marketing anything. Um <laughs> And then from there, I went right on to law school, and I became what's known as a criminal appellate attorney, and I represent the indigent or the poor. And I've done that part-time for, I guess, about 22 years. That's one of my three jobs. One is tearless writing, and then I do this criminal appellate work. And one of the besides helping people, which I love doing and helping people you know, who definitely need help and haven't had a lot of help along the way, I love that part of my work. Um, but one of the really truly amazing parts of that work is that you have to do no self-marketing. I, the mm. clients, I was able just to call a, an organization and say, you know, I have time for a client. And they would say, oh, thank God. You know, so there was no need for me to constantly be out there, you know, for lack of a better word, chasing ambulances and such. The, the work was always there when I wanted it. And that was a nice feature of not having to spend my hours drumming up business. So it's been difficult, I think, for me to get outside of that piece of entrepreneurial self-promotion, which I think is so critical. But 
you know, and I think the other challenge, the entrepreneur challenge is in some businesses, you don't have a lot of repeat business because, you know, once you get kids to college or help them with their college essays, they don't come back generally two years later and say, oh, I want to apply to college again. You're lucky if there's a younger sibling or the parents have friends and they want to discuss it. So that's how you get repeat business there. But it's not like a constant, you know, and hopefully with resumes and cover letters, people get a job, you know, and then they stay there for a number of years. So once again, you don't have that repeat mm. customer piece. But um, so I think the entrepreneurial drumming up business piece is more challenging for me. I don't love putting myself out there. But you do let your you've had some workshops, free workshops at libraries and schools, and you have one coming up. Next. Yeah, no, I my third job is I teach at Suffolk University in their business school, a career launch class. And I work with college juniors, helping them. It's, it's this great course that Suffolk created. I don't think there was any I don't know if there's some like it now. But when they created it, there weren't a lot out there like this, as far as I know. And we help students brand themselves, come up with a resume, teach them how to put up a LinkedIn profile, how to network, how to interview, informational interview, um, and just all those kinds of skills. Talk about workplace credibility. It's just this like one credit course. I think it meets like 12 times. And we try to give them like all these different skills sort of to put in their toolbox for life. And so I think that's been really helpful in terms of teaching a class and getting up in front of, you know, 30 tired, exhausted undergraduates, sometimes motivated, sometimes not. And, you know, Mm -hmm. doing that two to four times a week, depending on how many classes I teach in any given semester. And I think that really got me ready to do more informal workshops. So I'm definitely comfortable standing in front of people and giving information. I don't do a great job, I think, selling myself, but what sells, I think, tearless writing is when my partner get up and do a presentation and we share with people what we can do and how we can help and give them actual like feedback, like takeaway tips and suggestions. So I think that's how we do most of our marketing is just trying to give people value and that leads to business. So what would you advise people who are entrepreneurs who don't love marketing themselves what would you say to do? Because I'm coming across a lot of people and obviously I don't I think a lot more it. people are hiring people to yeah. help. Outsource? Um, I think it's an outsource thing. You know, I'm of the age where I don't, you know, my idea of Facebook is, you know, not Stalking using it. it. No. Not using <laughs> it. I mean, just I'm, I'm one of those strange people who just... I'm busy enough and I'm not that interested in who's doing what when. And it, it's it's been a it's been a hard thing because it's much harder to market yourself if you're not literally loving social media and you know Becky the declutterista you know does little Facebook lives and <laughs> all these fantastic things and she's like, "Oh, you have to do that too." And I'm thinking, "Oh, shoot me." So, <laughs> hey, here, so I think here. really but here I am. But I think really <laughs> hiring people and finding people who can help you do that piece is really useful. Okay, so you're definitely open to that. Definitely. I don't think that I mentioned this in my first episode where I talked about myself, which I hate doing, obviously, um, that Declutterista was born because of you. Yes, I know. (laughs) So I went to this, we went to this meeting. I said, Kim, you got to go to this meeting with me. It's at Panera. It's called Pepper Lane. I don't know what it is, but it has to do with moms, entrepreneurial moms. Let's go. And you're like, okay. And I'm going there to help Kim promote her business, Kimberly to promote her business, Tearless Writing. And my wheels are turning about myself. Shocking. Shocking, right? Yeah. You know, uh, baby of the family, kind of like an only child. I I think about myself, like back to me. So then my wheels are turning. Next thing you know, Declutterista is born. Um, And it's funny because my sister Kimberly is actually super, super organized. 
So I think I remember one moment I'm sitting at your kitchen island. I think I don't think the kids were there because I don't think I'd be able to just focus on what you were doing. And you were like moving around your kitchen like like a dancer, just putting away dishes. And it was just very rhythmic. It didn't even look like she was thinking about it. And I'm like, whoa, she has really good habits. I was just really I remember being struck by that. But so you're actually the naturally organized one. Yes. Are, what are some of your I mean, do you think you have tips for people who aren't naturally organized? Like, what's your what's your favorite tip? I mean, there's something interesting in your closet. Do we want to reveal? Let's not jump to that. Okay. Um, but no, what I was going to say is, for me, what's key to staying organized is the notion that everything in my home has a place. Okay? And if it doesn't have a place and I can't find a place for it, it there probably isn't room for it or I don't need it. Mm. So for me, it's really key. And, you know, Becky talks more about this notion of, you know, does this spark joy? Hey, uh, that's Mary Kondo, not Yeah, me. That, that's well, right. But but that's sort <laughs> of more of her idea. Like, does this – and I, I don't think as much about the joy things cause me. I think about do I need this? Does this help my life? Does this improve? What, right. You know, what, do I need this? And so for me, that's key because if everything has a place, it's really not that much harder to just put it away. Okay. And, you know, and I think it also helps, you know, that I'm probably a little bit type A. And so, you know, I had a little, I was home seemingly full time with the kids when they were little. And I sort of did set up everything like stations. And as soon as we were done doing something, whether it was Legos or whatever, we put that thing away and put it back in its place. And so I trained the kids and I guess myself that that was just how I like things done. We have a, you know, a three bedroom ranch, a nice size house, but definitely not tons of space where I can like hide things in a spare bedroom. And so I always had to kind of put things away as we worked with them or the house was trashed. So to me, it's really about finding a spot for everything and then taking the extra few seconds rather than just dropping something on the floor, Mm -hmm. you know, and I have, you know, I have all sorts of little funny things I do. Like, I don't know if everybody does this. I thought they did until somebody told me they didn't. But like when I do my laundry, I immediately walk it through the house and dump it all over either the dining room table or my bed. And then I fold it and put it away right away. As soon as it's dry, like I try to move the laundry through because I find like baskets and baskets of clean unfolded laundry begin to look like dirty laundry to me. And then I end up rewashing things. Hmm. And I realized that years ago. So those are the kinds of things. It's really just kind of having a process and seeing things through. I think that makes my life much simpler. Yeah. Kim actually came over pretty recently to help me fine tune some of my systems. Um, For some reason, I'm pretty good at like moving. This is very exciting for a lot of people, but I'm pretty good at moving laundry around. But I was kind of overwhelmed. What system should I have? Should there be a laundry basket in each kid's room? Should there be one in between the rooms? Like where things were? And you came up with pretty quickly and took that load off, literally. (laughs) Took that off my shoulders, that laundry drama. And we kind of said, okay, just put a laundry basket in the hallway in this corner. So now I'm actually doing less laundry. I'm not as overwhelmed by the different piles. Mm -hmm. So I'm doing it less often because it's all kind of contained. Right. I mean, you need different baskets in each child's room for laundry if you do each child's laundry separately. Some people do that. Um, That was never my way. We sort of have family laundry and then linens. So it made sense to combine all the laundry in one basket and then cart it to the, you know, and just see it through and get it back. Right. Um, You know, it just, to me, laundry and dishes are easy. They're nonstop, but, you know, they're continually dirtied and needing to be taken care of. But both of them are just sort of, you just sort of, I build them into my day. I don't have like a laundry day. The basket gets full. That's the day I do laundry and I push it through, you know, 
and it's everything's put away. And if I have it on my bed, what's, you know, sort of passive aggressive about that is my husband and I don't go to bed until the laundry is folded and put away. So I know I don't have to look forward to that in the morning. So neither of us would dare put clean laundry on the floor. Yeah, you know, that would just wouldn't think to. And you wouldn't, wouldn't put it back that. in the basket in the closet. No, that's no. because um. the basket's already been put, put back where it belongs in the laundry oh, room. Oh, stop, stop it. Stop. This is getting too far. Do you have any like dirty secrets that you're not good at an uh, area that's kind of messy that you're not good at organizing or keeping organized? Oh, that's a hard one. Oh gosh, you um, can't think of it. No, no, hold on. Um, I think I have, well, if, if, I mean, you if want to talk come, about Peter's drawer? No, <laughs> no, we can talk about Peter's drawer, but I think that the area I would say I have a lot of trouble with is my yard. I get very overwhelmed uh, by my yard work. Mm. Um, and you know, weeding, I feel like I weed and like, oh my God, the little buggers are all back. You know, how does that happen? You know, it's so fast. And so, so I would say the yard is a place I have a lot of trouble getting control of. Um, Peter, my husband's drawer, he, we, we have our own little junk drawers in the kitchen and he's allowed a drawer as long as he keeps it, you know, neat in quotes. And the joke is, you know, there's sort of, you know, I'm going to take his drawer away if he can't tidy up his drawer, but he still has a drawer. So clearly I'm not as militant as I appear. That's a good idea. I've never thought of having your own junk drawers. Yeah. Yeah, that's somehow something. people move into my junk drawer too, but oh, yeah, no, it's, that doesn't go well. It's, that well, you just have means I'm constantly recleaning my junk drawer, you know, <laughs> having to sort it out and straighten it back up. Yeah, but again, there's definitely a, a an element of type A to be, I think, to be that organized. Becky alluded to my shoe boxes years ago. <laughs> you know, I, I, women sometimes have, I, I would say, a lot of shoes, and you know, you need different heels and different fronts and tops and toe cleavage, and there's all these different issues. And so I had a lot of trouble with my shoes, and they were getting dusty and dirty. So I I started taking clear plastic shoe boxes and putting all my shoes in clear plastic shoe boxes in my entryway closet. So I would I don't usually walk through the house with shoes on. So I have all these shoe boxes, and then I realized, gosh, it's really hard to see which pair is in which box. So I started taking pictures of all my shoes <laughs> while I'm wearing them, like from a, from a bird's eye view, and then you know just printing it out on regular paper. I didn't have it done on photo paper usually, and then I would tape those to the front of each box. So I have so this Becky alluded to my sort of strange shoe box habit because people will come in and ask to see it because word on the street is because this is sort of this great shame I have of these shoe box habits. So, but I love my shoe boxes because I love knowing and I'm like, oh, that that's really no longer in style, or those are kind of ugly, and I. You know, I donate the shoes or dump the shoes and I move on and fill a new, better pair in the box with a photo. I have a question about that. So you boxes. came up, yeah, <laughs> we have to, uh, so you came up with that on your own. It came up organically by need. Okay. Cause I bet if we were to look at, look into that, it would be on Pinterest. It probably is. Okay. But I, but I don't go on Pinterest because it goes back to my thing of, I don't have time and I don't really care. Right, you know right, what I mean? Right. Like I yeah. just kind of – all of my things for the most part – I mean if I, if I have a problem that I can't solve, like I have a lot of scarves. My kids um, were really into Chinese culture and we had Chinese exchange students. So when Chinese students would come visit us, I would get like these beautiful Asian like scarves. But then what do you do with all of these? Other, You know, they could be in a giant bag at the bottom of your closet. So, you know, I went online and I searched for how people store scarves when they have upwards of 75 scarves because what do you do with that? That could really take over a closet. So, I mean, there was a problem. I didn't know a solution so at that point i go investigate but i can't say that i'm trolling for ideas for things i don't need it's Mm -hmm. more when i'm looking for to solve a problem i was gonna say you're a problem solver and i remember when i first started my you know career as declutterista um kate kyo from pepper lane she said you're a problem solver and i'm like i like that that kind of sticks in my head and you're definitely a problem solver kim has um 
So I'm, I was, she's 10 years older. So I was, you know, you found out mom was pregnant with me. I was not. So yeah. what were you thinking? Oh, yeah. I was yeah, nine yeah. at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah that makes out. sense. Yeah, yeah. That's how, Back that's here. how it works. Back here, yeah. Um, so what were you, what were you thinking? You're like, fine. Two older brothers. Were you thinking? You really want to know what I'm thinking? Yeah. It's got to be a girl. I had two older brothers who were very close in age and I, there's a three year gap. There's, I, my oldest brother's four years older than me. My next brother's three years older than me. And then there was me. And then Becky came obviously 10 years later. So my first thought when my mom and I put a tremendous amount of pressure on her and I said, it's just got to be a girl. And my mom kept saying, we just want a healthy baby. And I said, yes, healthy, but a girl. I need a sister over and over again. It was, it was my mantra for really a pretty solid seven months the whole time I knew about the pregnancy. And my parents, I think were pretty stressed about it because you know, I was really, I think it was pretty easygoing, but about things like this, but this was, there was no give in me. It just had to be a girl. And then the great irony of life is <laughs> Becky comes, you know, and joins us and she's an adorable baby and really fun and very social and just a doll, a tomboy. <laughs> all I wanted was someone to play with and hang out and play dolls with. And all she wanted to do was throw balls with her older brothers. <laughs> it was really like just the cruelest of fates, but, <laughs> but we, we, we've persevered. We've persevered. Yeah. That was, yeah. No, I was never upset about you coming. I was more just. No, no. I thought you were excited sure, about it. Totally sure. But you were going to be a girl. It was pure will. My will. It was really the first time I really asserted my will and it worked out. Yeah. It's definitely, it's definitely been a work in progress. Like they've been working on kind of my look and I just look back and, you know, in terms of the tomboy and I thought I had a sense of style, I wore, you know, I loved fluorescent colors. So I would wear like MC Hammer and neon pants and my mom and sister would say, you know, we really, it's, it's got to be better. And I'm like, I, what, what would I say? This is, this looks good. You don't know. I look awesome. You don't know anything. <laughs> that was sort of the, you don't know anything. You're fools. You don't know anything. I, I look awesome. Fool. No, you, I said, you, I look awesome. You, I look awesome. You just don't know. And I was like, okay, <laughs> you don't know what's okay. in. What's in. You don't know. You have no sense of it. Look at how you dress. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I was bold. You were bold. Yeah. So we've come a long way. You know, we're, we're very different, but how many streets away do I live? She practically lives in my backyard. <laughs> really? She's like a street Not away. on purpose, but it, it worked out nicely. It was almost on my street two houses down, but oh, yeah. luckily that house didn't work out. So she's um, she's literally two streets away. It's fun though. I mean, I get to see a lot of, she has two young kids, mine are off at college. So I think we have a pretty good time. The kids come by, they bike ride over, come yep. for a water stop. Exactly. Yep. And I've lived with them a couple times. And um, people often talk about, you know, my mom, my sister, and I'm a little bit later because they get there right on time. But we go to the gym most mornings at 5 a.m. when it opens. And that habit started when your kids were little. Yeah. No, I, I was always – I had a really hard time working. I'm not a night person, and I had a really hard time working out at night. And I joined a gym years ago. That gym no longer exists. And it opened at 5 a.m. And I realized, like, I could go to the gym first thing in the morning before my husband left for the train. He, he At that point, took a commuter rail in. And – so if he had to work late or I was tired at night, I just felt like when I tried to work at night, I always had a lot of excuses. So I started at that point working out at 5 a.m. And it wasn't long before my dad joined me. And then my mom joined very shortly after that. And then... Oh, you started? I thought they did it for you. No. no. no oh, no, so you started, started. Dad joined me. Yeah, ah. dad joined me. He liked the gym. He just... They had been at the Y. They probably were doing something else somewhere else, like yeah. the Y or something. But he liked this gym and he started coming. And then mom said, you know, if this really sticks and this is going to happen, then I'll join too. And so then she joined. And then so we were the tree, the trio. And then it was really cute because once the kids were old enough to stay on their own, um, you know, like late elementary, middle school, I don't remember what age it was. My husband wanted to come to the gym too. So, so then we were really kind of odd, the whole 
the four of us. And it was funny because occasionally we'd be eating out with my parents, my husband and I, and it would be, we'd see people from the gym and I'd feel compelled to tell people that I don't live with my parents. <laughs> I feel compelled to tell that like, like as if, you know, we have like to obsessed be friendly with them. and we worked out at the gym, but it's not like, you know, we spent all day every day together. <laughs> but then I was just like, at some point I was like, oh, who cares? And then Becky, I guess about what, two year, a year and a half, two years ago, she started joining our trio. I can honestly say though, she's not usually there when the doors open at the gym. Mm-hmm. She sort of stumbles in about 10 minutes later with a cup of coffee. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> yeah. I can't, it just doesn't seem right to set your alarm for like 440 or 450. Yeah, 430, babe. 4:30. Oh gosh, no. Yeah, that's the time the alarm so, goes off. Yeah. So that's, yeah. that's pretty impressive. But my point is people see us at the gym like, oh, it's so special. You guys are always together. And it's our time, no matter, even though we all live in the same town, it's our time to be together. And, you know, we've gone through some hard times as a family and we're, you know, we're there for each other. We don't know any other way. You know, we visit, my mom is constantly going to visit my grandma at the nursing home with my mom. I'm doing it as, as well, not as much as them. And everyone's like, wow, you know, and it's just what we do. It's nothing, it's nothing, um, it's extraordinary, I guess, when other people see it, but it's just kind of how we are yeah, as a family. It's, it's, it's really a gift to have. I mean, local family, I know people sometimes say, you know, you're so lucky. And I kind of joke around like, oh, it's a it's a blessing and a curse. But I really do overall feel like it's it's a huge, huge blessing. I mean, I have the support of workout buddies. I can't say that if I didn't know people were going to be at the gym. Would I really show up every single day, Monday through Friday at 5 a.m.? I can tell you probably not. It's, 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 the, it's the text of shame when I have to text my mom at 4.30 in the morning for whatever reason, telling her I'm not going to the gym. And sometimes I say to my husband, oh, just go so I don't have to send the text. <laughs> because I hate sending the text because you have a workout buddy and, you know, it's sort of a um, accountability. an accountability partner. And I think that's really important. But I, I, the nice thing about having local family is, you know, being able to do holidays together, to be able to celebrate together, to be able to support each other when there are problems. I mean, my dog had a health issue the other day and I completely panicked. I'm an empty nester, but I have this fantastic little dog <laughs> and I was just panicked. And my dad's passed away in the last year and a half or so. But, um, and he was, he was that first call I would make when something happened with my dog or I was worried about something. And without even looking at my husband, you know, we're both trying to work on this issue. I said, I got to call my mom because I, we called my dad because he was always more, um, obsessed with the dogs, but I knew my mom had the, the know-how. So I, she was over at my house within seven minutes. She lives across town. It's probably closer to a 10 minute drive, but she was over within seven minutes to help me check over my little pup. So, um, so it's nice to have that support. And, and I think it means a lot to, I think all the family, I think we all feel really lucky. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Business owner, extraordinaire, teacher. Shoeboxes. Shoebox clear shoebox lover. <laughs> um, you know, you've definitely been a huge influence in my life between seeing that rhythm in the kitchen and seeing your shoeboxes and, you know, just the fact that your baby sister, who's a little bit all over the place, is now helping people declutter. It must be. It's I'm osmosis. So proud, osmosis. Proud and amazed. And, uh, you know, and Becky's marketing know-how, you know, I mean, her interest and passion for that has really helped me build all my businesses and push me to do things like podcasts, go and speak at different places, venues. So Becky's had a huge influence on me also. So thanks, Clarista. Aw, we're such cute sisters, aren't we? Thank you for tuning in. And if you want to learn more about tearless writing, go to www.tearlesswriting.com. And when is your your workshop? Is it next week? Oh, there's going to be one in Mansfield on Monday, but I'm not sure how soon this will be out on the 23rd. But just be looking around in the local South Shore area. We show up at YMCA's, but you can always reach out and find out where there's going to be a program. Yes, and I'm so glad you're on the show because 
I think part of having a business is selling yourself. People get to know you. So now people get to know you yes, a little bit yes. more and see how awesome you are. Thank you. When I talk about you, I'm like, way do you meet her? She is so legit. <laughs> so <laughs> I think she's turning red. So we'll sign off. Thank you, Kimberly. Thank you. Thank you.